Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Monday Football Outsiders Live. This is our week our week 10 recap show, and you can see us on YouTube. You can see us on Twitch. You can see us on Twitter. You can see us on Facebook. You might be seeing us in the widget in the corner of the Football Outsiders website right now. And welcome to everyone, no matter where you're joining us. You may also be watching us on delay. Now, if you're watching us live right now, Monday at 1 o'clock Eastern time, be sure to come join us. Ask some comments in the chat. Uh, complain. Argue with us. Do whatever you want, whether you're on YouTube or on Twitch. Also, you can please like us. You can subscribe us. And if you're listening afterwards, consider leaving a five-star review so other people can find our shows. And if you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on air next time. Not this time, because we're doing the show this time, but we'll read it on air next time. Also available, you can watch us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. I was unaware we had a podcast network, but apparently we have a podcast network. There's a whole archive where you can watch my beard turn grayer and get longer week by week by week. I used to look like Ian, and now I look like this. It was only been like two months this happened, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Finally, and this is big news. You can see it in the corner of the screen right now. FO Plus is on sale. Just 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer, and it gets you our stats, our analysis, our fantasy information, our betting information. Absolutely essential uh, tools, ladies and gentlemen. When I wasn't in Football Outsiders, I was still subscribing to these tools because you can't do our job without it. You can't gamble. You can't wager uh, accurately without it. You can't handle a fantasy team without it. You can't write articles without it, heaven forbid. So 99 cents a week for annual sus subscriptions, limited time offer, and you can access that at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or go through the link in the de description to this show. Welcome, as always, our guest, my co-host, well, my co-host, well, Aaron Schatz is co-host. I'm filling in. Ian, Ian O'Connor from lovely Louisville. How's it going, sir? It's good, good. How's it going for you? It's going well. Aaron Schatz is on vacation. He went he vacation. He went to Vegas and he left us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's having a good time, and here we are. So here I'm in Louisville. It's dreary. It's I enjoy these days, but not for everyone else. <laughs> Aaron's having a good time, and yet the DVOA ratings come out. The DER ratings come out. I believe he's in a hotel in Vegas doing all the things he normally does anyway. But he still gets to be in the sunshine out there when he's done. He can go out and see the sunshine. And we cannot. But what we can do is sit here and talk about some exciting games from last week. It wasn't as upset heavy as uh, the previous week was. But there were still some surprises and still some big storylines, starting with the big one, Sunday Night Football. Chiefs dominating victory over the Raiders. Uh, kind of reset the world a little bit. The Chiefs are back on top. The Raiders are back where they we expect them to go, heading down to the bottom. And I know a lot of people are talking about the idea that Mahomes is back. The Chiefs are back. Nothing has changed They're where they were this time last year. But, Ian, I think what you wanted to talk about today is Andy Reid's play calling is kind of an underrated aspect of what happened on Sunday night. Yeah, especially on fourth downs. Like Andy Reid is one of those guys that's typically known for being a very good fourth down decision maker. Um, this season, it's been kind of hit or miss. He hasn't really had anything egregious yet. Um, but last night, he did very well. So he came into the week only 23rd in our coach rankings overall, wow. which is, if you're not familiar, uh, for those who are watching, is an equal combination between their fourth down decision making on our critical call index or CCI, which looks at fourth down decisions over the course of the season and how well or how poorly you've maximized uh, your team's win probability by fourth, making fourth, the correct fourth down decision. And then it also looks at EPI, which is our edge power index, which is basically a, a, a judgment of how well the team has performed to date, utilizing the football outsiders 
DVOA up to this point. So it's really hard. You can't really, it's hard other than like just by the eye test to judge a coach on scheme and, and motivation and putting a team together. I mean, you can do a pretty good job, but we look at it objectively between fourth downs, which often often do contribute directly to wins and losses, as we'll get to in some of these games later <laughs> on. Um, and then combining that with the just the performance, which kind of encapsulates all of that scheme, play calling, uh, and things like that. So he came in 23rd overall. Uh, his CCI, the fourth down decision-making, was 20th, which is very low for him, mm. especially over the last few years. And he was 22nd in APIs. We know the Chiefs have not been the Chiefs lately. Right. So that's kind of how he came in. But he had two calls that make our top five coaching decisions of the week. One of them came right at the two-minute warning in the second quarter, which comes in as the fourth best so far with one game to play tonight. But it was the fourth and one at the three. Kind of a no-brainer, but still, can see a lot of coaches kick a field goal here. They're up 10-7. He chooses to go for it, adding 4.8% in the pre-snap win probability based on going versus kicking. And we're still at that point in the second quarter where they have all three of their timeouts, two minutes left. There is some value to that field position if you fail. So if this were to be, you know, inside 30 seconds left in the second quarter, a lot of times the model likes the field goal. Surprisingly to some people that say, you know, right. analytics always says go for it. You know, right. it is based on the situation in these teams. So this situation, even if they don't get go for it or don't get it, they've got three timeouts, two minutes left. They can still get the ball back if they don't force a safety, a turnover. But the chances of converting that are very high, especially for the Chiefs, even as poor as they've been lately. So that was a, a great call there. And then later on, the third quarter, uh, Kansas, uh, Las Vegas made it a three-point game again, coming out of halftime with a, a really nice scoring drive to get to get up to 17-14. This was the fourth and goal at the one, about halfway through the third quarter, where uh, Mahomes hit third string tight end, number three tight end, Noah Gray for the touchdown. But the decision to go for it there was 4.4% increase in pre-snap win probability versus the field goal in that situation as well. Um, so that's it for the decision-making aspect of it. Did you? What did you see from this game? You mentioned it looked like the Chiefs. Maybe they're back. I don't know. They're they're operable again. Like there were still some balls that bounced off of the chests of Raiders mm-hmm. defenders here. But uh, it, what was happening, I think, in some of their worst games is every ball that could be intercepted was intercepted. Every fumble that could go the other way went the other way. And yeah, you know, they were due. You hate to say due. That's like a, that can be a gambler's fallacy type of thing, but. You know, central tendency was going to come and they were going to catch a break here and there. I don't think they're back to where they were, you know, again, two years ago when they were dominating the the NFL. But they're back in a position where they can be an AFC playoff team. They can be a strong AFC playoff team. But, you know, going back to a couple of those things, the first run, the running play on fourth and one before halftime. First of all, I love the fact that it was three tight ends and a power run. You watch the Chiefs too often. You know they try to do this sort of song and dance Harlem Globetrotter stuff in these goal line situations. Yeah. And sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it's like, come on, guys, shut up and run the ball. The Kelsey uh, pitch it, behind his back on the snap to Mahomes coming around. <laughs> right, right. It's like you you got all these offensive linemen. You got young linemen. You got veteran linemen. You brought these guys in. You can run for half a yard, and that's what they did in that play. What's interesting, you talked about the clock situation. Not only did they score the touchdown, but they forced a three and out by the Raiders after that. They got the ball back and they drove to field goal range. Now they missed a field goal, mm-hmm. but I find it interesting that, you know, when you look at all the probabilities, and I think we'll see this in some of these other plays, there's these layers within layers of probability if you do the right thing. So you're, right. Like, you're worried about, well, if you get a stop, the field position still matters. So you can get a three and out and get the ball back. You score a touchdown, the field, it's still you can still get the ball back, get it after a three and out and possibly get three more points. I find that fascinating. 
Yeah, and a lot of the talk, too, on the broadcast, they were saying the exact, this exact thing for the Raiders. They're like, you know, hey, you get the ball back. You know, the Chiefs ended up scoring, but it yeah. was, you know, enough time left. Like, all right, now the Raiders have a chance to, to get some points on the board and kind of double dip since they get the ball after halftime. And like you said, it ended up working in the, the Chiefs' favor. It's where they, the Raiders just couldn't really put anything together. The Chiefs got the ball, but, but were unable to convert that field goal. But still, making the right decisions more often than not puts you in a better spot. Right. And I think we're about to get to a game where like the coaches were coaching scared a little bit, particularly later in the game. Kudos to Andy Reid, who whatever adjustments he made, and I think he made some adjustments. I think there were more check downs, more swing passes. He didn't get into that, that, that uh, gambler's fallacy of, oh, things are going very badly. Let's, let's play conservative. Let's play scared. Like they're still going for it. They're still being aggressive. And I think that's going to help them in the second half. Yep. Yeah. Now don't forget folks. I want to remind you all, FO Plus is 99 cents per week for a limited time for annual subscriptions. You can access this offer through the show's description or at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Once again, this is an essential tool for fantasy players, essentially a tool for wagerers, essentially a tool for my colleagues who go out there and say, I don't know what to write about on Monday, Tuesday. I'm going to use the raw stats and say something silly. No, come to Football Outsiders and say something really intelligent and insightful that your, your, uh, uh, that your competitors are not able to say. All that, 99 cents per week for a limited time. And now, on that note, let's talk about ties. Ian, did you I know don't that? have a tie. Oh, that football <laughs> tie. I didn't even know. Apparently, some people don't know that can happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Najee Harris did not know it could happen. A lot of these young guys, I mean, I don't think there are ties. There are no ties in college football. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there are ties in, in high school football because when I'm there as a band parent, it seems like the game goes on for 11 hours. I wish it was a tie. It's like, you know, it's two little schools. Let them tie and let's all go home and, and have pizza or whatever. But, uh, yeah, the Lions and Steelers played to a tie um, without Ben Roethlisberger, who mm-hmm. heroically let us know that he was symptomatic. It was really – I'm honored to have ever spoken to Ben Roethlisberger because he's such a, a hero for that our that our nation deserves. And it was an ugly finish, but I think that the, the numbers tell us Dan Campbell made some some pretty good decisions, whereas Mike Tomlin maybe didn't make the best decisions. Yeah, and we're like I was telling you for show, we're getting hammered for that on on Twitter today. But we'll we'll walk through those and going you know to the tie part. You know, it's just it's always amazing to me that you've got you know they're young. Najee Harris is a young guy; he's a rookie. Some of the the running, I think it was a second year running back for the, the Lions. I forget who, what the name was, but coming out like that, and I just think you know you you play play football. Yes, there's no no ties in college, maybe in high school, but. I got to think these guys are watching, you know, NFL. There have been multiple ties over the last few years. So that just always, always kind of comes off as a little funny to me that there are guys that don't, that play the game and don't know that there's, there's a tie, but they found out yesterday that there is. Yeah. Dan Campbell did what he could to avoid a tie uh, early in the game. Uh, He comes in in our coach rankings 25th through going into this past weekend, 13th in that CCI though. He's actually been very good. He's been kind of, mocked and criticized for being maybe too aggressive. Um, but we've agreed with pretty much all of his decisions to go for it uh, when he has. So he's been really good so far, and this week was no no exception. Third best call of the week coming in. 205s left in the second quarter, similar you know timing to that Kansas City one we just talked about. This was fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 45, so just across midfield with – Really an inferior team um, against a really good defense. We, you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger was out. That defense, you know, has been pretty good. They weren't the best yesterday. Lost T.J. Right. Watt later on, but Joe Hayden was lost at one point. But still, with the Lions against that Pittsburgh defense, choosing to go for it, added 5% in pre-snap win probability. Uh, they actually they converted that. DeAndre Swift got 10 yards. They went down. I think 
that's when they ended up making the field goal. I think they tied that one at 10 going into halftime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a great call there. And then you mentioned Tomlin, on the other hand, just has continued to not be very good. And again, the coach rankings, we got kind of hammered over this because he's so low. People calling out, you know, he's a Super Bowl winning coach, one of the best coaches in the league. That is true, you know, overall yeah. in, in other aspects, <laughs> but not this year. Right. So especially when it comes to fourth downs, he's, you know, this one, he had the fourth and three on the Pittsburgh 48. This was the fifth worst number five of the week that we're, we're catching a lot of flack for right now. And besides the punt, fourth and short, just shy of midfield um, late in the game. It's like, you know, you've got, even with a backup, you know, a fourth and three year midfield, you can't really swing the field a ton. Everyone's playing with the weather. Everyone's playing in the right. same conditions. Right. If you really think that the Lions aren't going to be able to move the ball on you, why not go for it and risk it, you know? risk you know losing and, and get it the Lions get the ball at midfield they still have to go you know 20 yards for a, a mid 50s field goal right. um you know and that's you know no given especially for Santoso who we'll see later on but you know has only played had five kicks after this week in his entire career so this is one you know Dan Campbell we, we talked about before the show too he went for it on fourth and one at his own 34 just I think four or five minutes before this and they converted. So if, if Dan Campbell is a fourth and one, a little bit easier than a fourth and, and three. But still, when you've got some of the playmakers that Pittsburgh has, even with a guy like Mason Rudolph, which we accounted for in our model, that comes out to a 4.7% error. Um, and, yeah, just kind of a struggle there from Tomlin, um, which we've seen a lot throughout the year from him, even the last few years, to be honest. I can't imagine declaring – your analytics are wrong about this decision by Mike Tomlin in a game that ended in a tie. How do you yeah. like if they'd come back and won this game? You could say, well, you know what, your analytics are garbage. You know, you know, we get that all the time. It was a tie against the Lions. How yeah. do you come back and say, well, you, you don't know what you're talking about? If they hadn't punted, what do you think would have happened if they hadn't punted? They would have tied worse. I guess you're worried about marching down the field uh, against the defense, which didn't happen. Yeah, and the the response, you know. Saying, you know, he, he watched the game. The decision not to go for it was clearly not as poor as a decision to pass three times on goal to go. So I guess coming back and, and not even following up by saying it was wrong, just saying it wasn't as poor. So kind of backtracking a little bit there. So people, you know, that aren't experts on this stuff, like we do, our model is trusted by a whole lot of people. Um, right. And a lot of people that matter, teams, you know, specifically uh, trust us with this stuff. So to come out and just say we're flat out wrong, especially on one that close. I understand that we, we've got some that are, you know, fourth and nine at the team's own 20 late in the game because, right. you know, it, the model just can do so much more than we do. And, yes, we can't account for how the game is actually being played in the game, but in a fourth and short like that at midfield, it's really hard. You, know, you really can't say that's a wrong, right. wrong decision to go for it. So hey, You can talk about the rain, but like you said, the conditions were there for everybody. They're there for the kickers. Um, you can talk about there being a backup quarterback in Mason Rudolph. Well, this is a backup quarterback who's been in your system four years, five years. I forget what example. So if you're only your only recourse, if the backup quarterback is in the game, it's like, oh, we just got to punt and, and hold on for dear life against the Lions. That Then then why do you have that backup quarterback? Then do something else. Get another guy. Run the Wildcat if Ben Roethlisberger is available. Anything but saying, well, I guess we just have to play for a tie and be ultra conservative you know, at home against an ON9 team. Yeah. Um, but, uh, then overtime comes oh. and I, I just really yeah. watched that. That was football agony. That just, over- a, yes, yeah, just a comedy of errors. And it, it's crazy. Cause we're going to, as, as you know, we get here, we've got three of the top five most impactful plays. So three of the, 
the most of the five biggest win probability swings of the weekend mm-hmm. came in this game. There actually ended up being, I think it was 11 of the top 20 came from this yeah. game. Part of that is due to the fact we had so many blowouts. Yeah. Um, you know, four, I think four teams, you know, were 30, 20 something, 30 point victories that really weren't close from the start. But still to have 11 plays out of the top 20 is just yeah. Unbelievable. And it's, you know, we'll go in chronological order with the, the three biggest from this game. Okay. Number five on the week was in overtime, just under seven minutes left. It was the second eight on Pittsburgh 19. Rudolph hits Deontay Johnson for, I think it was close to a 20 yard catch. Uh, maybe more ended up fumbling out at around the 45, recovered by Detroit. Mm-hmm. That cost the Steelers 24.8% in win probabilities, so almost a quarter of a win there. Um, wow. And then coming down, the next one ended up being the most impactful. It was the you know, Ryan Santoso field goal. The missed game winner looked mm-hmm. like at first it kind of someone maybe got a hand on it. looked like he just didn't get it well. Cost them 52% contributed to the tie. And then fourth most impactful comes not long after that, about a minute and a half later. Second and six on Pittsburgh's own 42. So they've got a shot here. They're driving down. They're getting close to midfield mm-hmm. getting a, a, to get in range for Chris Boswell, who even it, with that weather – has a pretty good leg that, you know, you don't have to get super close there. Snap goes over Mason Rudolph's head, doesn't even have a chance. Najee Harris has to go back and get it. They lose 19 yards, cost them 28.8%. So that was fourth most. So, again, that was the third biggest or fifth biggest, the biggest impact, the fourth biggest. And then just outside of the top five at seven is the Pat Friarmy fumble. The end of the game, fumble, right. Detroit recovers with eight seconds, and it's basically over. It's a tie. That one was 19.6. So a whole lot of action in the top five here from this game. A whole lot of a pair of teams kind of going between each other's 35-yard line. Mm-hmm. So at no point are you quite like, well, you know, this is the chip shot field goal, especially, again, with bad conditions that wins it. Also a whole lot of penalties, and we don't talk about that here. That overtime, it's like there was a play. The Lions had a play where it looked like they got a screen and got down to about the 25-yard line. And it's like, well, this is probably it. This is probably how they get the win. And it gets called back for a hold. There were, there were four or five. I mean, there must have been a half dozen penalties in that overtime period. Very hard watch. And I, I'm guessing it being overtime, that's another reason why there are these probabilistic swings. And overtime, one yeah. play, one 25-yard play is always going to have a probabilistic swing for, for victory. Is that correct? Yeah, especially once you get past that uh, that first possession. You know, we'll right. get um, – it, you know, and it likes field goals more often, too. So as you get for after the first possession, it does call for field goals a lot more. You might think, I mean, it makes sense when all you need is a field goal to win. Right. Yeah, once you get past that first possession, um, or really even on the first possession, because a touchdown wins it. So, you know, a big turnover putting you, you know, inside the 10, inside the 20 is going to be a huge swing, especially on an early down. That one for Pittsburgh, second and six with the 42. They're expected to go on, you know, and keep rolling and get down uh, in the field goal range pretty often. So, yeah, you're going to see some really big swings. The only reason the, the Friarmouth fumble wasn't much higher is because um, because it was, like, only eight seconds left. Mm-hmm. Detroit was in their own territory. So it, it takes it down to, like, just over 50%. So that one could have been a lot worse if it happened uh, just a little bit earlier in the overtime period. Well, that was an ugly game. And let's transfer to a slightly less ugly but still rather ugly game between two teams mm-hmm. – both teams are in the playoff, very the thick of the playoff hunt, and that's uh, the Saints versus the Titans. The uh, Titans held on. It was the, the, the Saints right now. Their path to victory is to kind of goof off for three quarters offensively, hope their defense keeps them in the game, and then mayhem ensues in the fourth quarter. And it's not like mayhem ensues because the Saints suddenly 
discover how to play offense. It's just that they get take advantage of a couple mistakes, a couple penalties. Simeon completes like a pass or two downfield, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's ball game. And uh, under the circumstances, it, it was shocking to see them in this game. And it appears that Sean Payton kind of coughed up an opportunity for a victory in this game. Yeah, this one, the Titans, it's another game that uh, the Saints made a comeback. You know, Titans playing pretty well for the most part through that game. The Saints kind of come back, and they're down seven. They've got fourth and goal at the one, five and a half minutes left. Chooses to kick the field goal, chilling by 11. So when we were doing our uh, our podcast earlier here at Edge Sports with Scott Brown, who's our VP of Data Science, we were kind of talking through this one beforehand. He goes, you know, I'm kind of a devil's advocate, like to try and, you know, play that ex- devil's advocate, for lack of a, a better second word there, a phrase. Um, but trying, he's like, I'm thinking about this. And it's Sean Payton, who's so good historically, analytically, one of the, the best coaches in the league. Um, kind of came in at number four coming into this week and our coach rankings to start. And to see him like that, he's like, you know, there has to be some thought process to this that I'm not picking up on. And we just couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there, you're at the one yard line. Yes. You know, a field goal is a very high probability. It's a higher probability of making the field goal versus right. scoring there, uh, which is still close to 50%. I mean, a two point conversion is pretty close to 50%. You're a little bit higher there. Um, so the at least expected point value is just slightly higher, uh, I would think, on the touchdown. Um, we're going for the touchdown. So, you know, you kick the field goal there, you still have to trust that your defense is going to stop the, the Titans. Can't even give up a field goal. Right. Give up a field goal, it's back to 11. So you have to stop them with time left, get all the way down the field for a touchdown and a two-point conversion, which is going to be more difficult than from the one. You get one shot from the two or one shot from the one. So – to do that, then if you do get a touchdown but you don't get the two-point conversion, you're down five. You do give up a field goal. You can still tie the game with a touchdown and two-point conversion. So it's just kind of the, the easiest way to look at it is just your chances of scoring there versus if you get the field goal and you do have, find a way to get the ball back down eight, you have to go pretty – you have to go a lot further to get the touchdown than you would to get the, the field goal. Now, not saying the touchdown's a given – but it's still your path to victory is a little bit easier. Still not great considering you're down 11. Two-point conversion really factors in a lot there. And they're in that situation because they missed an extra point earlier. Right. So, you know, it would have made a little bit more sense if it was a 10-point game. But we looked at it. It was still 6% versus 7.4%, uh, which ends up being the worst fourth down error of the week. Wow. Now, see, if some people were coming after us on Twitter saying we don't know anything about this game, I could kind of say it because – Everything that Sean Payton was hoping would happen happened in that the Titans, the Titans were, did stall on the next drive. The Saints did get the ball back. They did score the touchdown, and it came down to the two-point conversion. And yet, like you say, you know, you're at the one, and you don't think you can score at the one. But in addition, as the cherry on top of all those other things, you've got to be able to score on the two yep. later on. So it doesn't make good probabilistic sense to do it that way. Yeah, and they, like you said, the way it played out, everything that he wanted to happen happened. They got yeah. the two-point conversion. Unfortunately, I think it was Troutman, the tight end, had a, a false start um, that pushed it back, weren't able to get it. Then it comes down to an onside kick uh, that they couldn't recover. But, yeah, just you want to give yourself, you know, the highest probability, you know, those those um, kind of plus EV plays there that you want to get. And just it didn't make sense to kick the field. You know, we saw this with Houston last week, and we were like, you know, don't really – you know, it's not really a surprise. They were down 11, except it was 11 and a half minutes left in the game, I think. Right. It's Houston, so you expect that kind of stuff and looking at it. Yeah. Um, and we said, you know, I didn't even know coaches kick field goals 
from the one yard line anymore, unless it was the very end of the first half. Right. Even then, you see like San Francisco, they went for it a, a few weeks, four or five weeks ago, whatever it was, and, and I think scored right before the half. So right. just very surprising, especially from Sean Payton, that, that he he chose the field goal over the touchdown. Yeah, one thing that happened in that is they got down to the four-yard line on that drive with about eight minutes left. And this mm-hmm. little penalty festival ensued. Yeah. So they, they, they ran a couple of plays. They got called for holding. They got pushed back. They got defensive holding, so they got pushed forward. And I think that the, the Saints had a total of about maybe seven, seven to nine, I don't know, with all the different penalties, plays from the red, from goal to goal play yeah. in that sequence. And on the one hand, they blew about three, three and a half minutes, which could not have helped because, again, you're down by 11. You want to have extra possessions, etc. Right. They blew three, three and a half minutes. And if it's a, a sort of a, 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 you know, a recency bias type of thing where Peyton said, it's just not happening on this drive. We cannot put the ball in the end zone. That might have been the reasoning behind that final decision to kick a field goal. But again, if you think that, what makes you think you're going to get, <laughs> get down there again yeah. and get another chance? And that's what we were talking about earlier, Scott and I. He said, you know, first I was thinking, you know, this offense, you don't have Drew Brees anymore. You, uh, Alvin Kamara's out of the game. Michael Thomas isn't around. You know, you got some of these receivers that are they're good, but they're not, you know, top level. They're not a top level offense. You know, my, Mark Ingram is back, which helps. You know, he knows that offense. And But that's a, another thing you look at. Like you said, if you don't trust your offense there, how are you going to trust them to get all the way down the field? Again, they did. So it looks kind of – the error might look kind of bad in hindsight, but we have people all the time that say, well, in hindsight, it was the right decision. It's like, no, you you can't make decisions, judge a decision based on information you have after the fact because right. the coach doesn't have that that right. information after the fact. It's at the point of the decision. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just, you know, not trusting the offense. I don't know, but Mark Ingram, you know, is a guy that can bully his way into the end zone. And yeah. so really surprising that he didn't just, like you said for the Chiefs, on just run kind of a power package and let him push it through. Or he even have Simeon pull the Drew Brees and just kind of, Throw the football over the line, over the, the end zone. Go they got off. this guy named Taysom Hill who's like a yep. wildcat guy who could have done the Cam Newton thing that we saw yes. later in the afternoon there. So they had options. Um, before we get into the next segment, you've got something coming up on Wednesday. Is that correct? Involving uh, our updated coaching rankings. We do. We'll have a new episode of Coach Rankings coming out, show, highlighting some of the updates, some of these biggest uh, decisions from the week. There we'll have our first ever champion gaming brand ambassador, Katie George, will be on there with me again. She and I will be on there every Wednesday updating and have some fun little segments that we're putting together uh, to make that really fun. So that'll be every Wednesday on YouTube. And this will keep up all during the year on which coaches are the best at making fourth down decisions, deciding when to punt, when to kick a field goal, et cetera. So it won't be week to week. We'll get like a, a running total. Is that correct? Yeah, every week it'll go all the way through week 17 this year. Um, after week 17, we'll crown the coach of the year, who's the, the head coach that tops the list, just because every, not every team plays a meaningful game in that last week of the season. Sometimes right. you have it in week 17 too, but most of the time teams are still playing their starters for the most part in week in that second to last week. So, yeah, it'll be running all the way up through the end of uh, – or up for just prior to week 18 this year. It feels weird to say week 18, but yeah. – and not be talking about the wild card week. <laughs> exactly. It does feel weird. And yeah, get beware of that final week because uh, football outsiders will run the data. And the coach who's about to get fired sometimes just goes for it every time on fourth down. Hey, there's no tomorrow. Let's try these plays out. So it's one week early, kind of like your fantasy championship. One week earlier is the best yep. way to make a, an honest decision there. So 
And that's something that we'll look at too, is looking at coaches on the hot seat. If there's a coach yes. um, that may be on the hot seat, we'll kind of analyze, say, hey, you know, they might not be performing well, but as far as fourth down decisions and just his decision-making in general, is he putting his team in a good chance to win? Is he deserving of being on the hot seat? You know, a lot more goes into it for front offices, obviously, and GMs. And that's why right. we say, you know, our coach rankings aren't necessarily a traditional look at it as far right. as looking at how they build their team and lead the team and whatnot. It's all kind of encapsulated in that EPI, but still being able to say, hey, they might not be performing well, but he's going for it on fourth downs when he should be. He's giving his team the best chance to win. So that's one of those things we'll te- definitely take a look at. Or we might say, yeah, that's right. This coach isn't doing anything right. He, he should he should get the ass. Yeah, and that's funny because I did write something that's coming later this week for Football Outsiders about some of the hot seat coaches. And one of the things is a, a, a spot check or a tool is using the edge sports uh, coach rankings. You know, again, mm-hmm. not to be like, oh, well you know, Sean Payton's 30th or whatever he needs to go. But like one of the tools in the toolkit is to look at that. And some of the guys I would look at it and I would pause afterwards and say, this guy seems like a hot seat coach. And yet if he's really making these good fourth down decisions, we should, we should pause and acknowledge that and maybe take a deeper look at his, uh, his entire portfolio. And then there's guys like Joe judge where you look at it and he's at the bottom of the fourth down rankings and he doesn't know how to use a headset and, and the, and the players don't like him. And it's like, okay, I think we've seen enough. We can, push him onto the uh, let's find a replacement list. Yeah. And it's interesting with him. It's something I mentioned last week on the, on our head coach during this video is that they do, they get the giants, get these surprising wins every year. They beat the Raiders who we didn't think football outsiders didn't think they were as good as their record. Right. They beat them. They beat the saints earlier in the year who were playing pretty good football at that time. Um, they were kind of inconsistent there. They beat, you know, they had the loss to the Panthers, uh, lost to the Giants, but still had some good wins. We're playing pretty well. That defense is good. He right. beat the Seahawks last year and moved right. down in our coaching. It's like if he could get the fourth down stuff, you know, and kind of shed that crown and get rid of that crown of being <laughs> the king of the fake, fake draw him off sides of the late game thing, you know, maybe yes, they would do a little bit better. Um, because it just seems like sometimes they, and they have so many injuries, but they're able to put it together for some wins. They just, he just can't get it all together. Right. Right. And, that, and that's it. The sustainability of those upsets. Like, is that sustainable? Well, it doesn't look that way because the decisions that led to it aren't optimal. Correct. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for the most impactful plays, the top five most impactful plays from week 10 Sunday. And we covered a few of these already uh, because so many of them took place in the Steelers Lions game. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Three of the, the five we covered. Number five, was the Steelers. It was the Deontay Johnson fumble there in overtime about coming up on three minutes into overtime. Mm -hmm. And that one was a 24.8% decrease, as you can see that at the bottom right. Mm -hmm. Number four was, again, the Steelers uh, just not being able to execute very well in overtime. The fumble or the snap that went over Mason Rudolph's head for a fumble. Luckily, Pittsburgh recovered. This would have been even worse. Probably would have dropped that. Dropped him down to 41 with 50 but 50% given to teams in case of a tie. So luckily they recovered, like I said. I think um, what fumbles cover, this is a football outsiders thing. I think I saw recently fumbles, aborted snaps and things like that are most often recovered by the offense, I think. Yeah. But in some of those situations where it's over the head, maybe – you know, maybe not, but Najee Harris was able to to come through for Pittsburgh and, and save the day there. Right. Number three, which we'll get to the decision yeah. portion of this this one later, but was the Broncos, the fourth down. They went for it. Melvin Gordon fumbled. Darius Slade picked it up, took it kind of a couple ways first, went one way, went the other way down the sideline. Teddy Bridgewater looked like he was going to 
try and make a tackle, made the business decision, but kind of knocked his own guy out of contention for the tackle. <laughs> that one really hurt, costing the, the Broncos 29.3%. Mm. Number two, uh, you see the Colts there, uh, uh, that was against Jacksonville. That was the strip sack or the, the sack fumble of Trevor Lawrence that essentially sealed the game. The Colts knelt out the clock from that point forward, dropping them 32.3. And then number one was that Santoso field goal. I think when I was looking at the numbers earlier, I think I said his, that was his fifth kick of his career as far as field goals. That was his first miss. He's now four or five, but that was a big one. So a tough, tough one there costing the Lions. 52%, and that one is higher than it would have been if it was later, you know, coming down at the very end because of there's still a chance for Pittsburgh to win it there. The tie isn't as inevitable at that point. Right. Um, but still, 52% is a, a big swing there for the Lions. Yeah, that was a rough one there. And I, I do, I really want to get to the Slay recovery, but I think it's a more interesting to talk, thing to talk about in terms of the decision to go for it because, mm-hmm. you know, fumble recoveries happen. But uh, the fact that, well, let, let, let's go there. Uh, yeah. Let's go over to the uh, top five best play calls by uh, by head coaches. Okay. By the way, yeah. don't forget as we put the graphic up, if you are watching, especially if you're watching after the plaque, please rate us, leave a review, leave a five-star review. Okay. Subscribe to all of our shows. If you're enjoying us, help us find our audience more. And we do that by having, you know, good reviews, having good engagement on things like uh, uh, YouTube and, and Twitch and all those other things. I barely understand because I'm a middle-aged man. Now, top five best decisions by coaches. And look at number one, and that's what we were just talking about, the decision to go for it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so number number one, uh, well, I'll start with number five. Those two at number four and five were Andy Reid, both of which we covered. The fourth and and goal at the one, fourth and one at the three was 4.4 and 4.8. Number three was the one we covered from Dan Campbell. Uh, as well there where it was the fourth and one at his own 45, uh, 205 left in the second quarter was 5.0%. The Vikings one is interesting because there's Mike Zimmer, who's a guy that I think it was the Cardinals game, one of those games early, we hammered it hard. He had a Mm -hmm. lot of errors by our model, at least. And and even by all the other models, we've seen a lot of them were errors. He's been pretty good since then. And this one was the fourth and goal at the one. They were down – I think it was 17, they're down, sorry, 13 to 17. They're down four. So instead of kicking the field goal, there was 240 left in the third quarter. Instead of just kicking the field goal there and saying, hey, we've got a lot of time left. It's getting a one-point game. They went for it and converted. And the fact that they went for it beforehand increased their their chances of winning by 5.7% versus the field goal attempt. Okay. And then he had the one later in the game that, that iced the game, basically, the fourth and two. Yes. That, you know, it, it, it was a couple – was that one was interesting, too, because – you kick the field goal there. They're at the 36. It's a 54-yarder. No gimme, you know, for really any kicker in the NFL, but especially Minnesota. The, the luck they've had with kickers. You know, Greg Joseph has hit a couple to tie or to win. He's missed one or two here, uh, and just the Vikings seems like always have trouble. But you kick the field goal, the Chargers get the ball back either way. They either get the ball back on a miss down seven, uh, or they get the ball back on a make-up ten, but still over two minutes left, and, you know, Still not high probability chance of winning for the Chargers, but still a chance. Whereas going for it, they either get the ball back on a failure, the same as a missed field goal, or you convert two yards. Dalvin Cook, that Minnesota offense is pretty good. You get two yards and the game's over because the Chargers have no timeouts. Clock goes down to the two-minute warning. You just kneel it out. So that was what's what's interesting too on that one is the play 
that set it up beforehand, that third and 20, that the Chargers just played super soft and let Thielen get up there. Um, you know, I don't think he – I think he, he didn't realize he was short of the sticks but from his reaction afterwards, realizing he was short. But still, to get it to fourth and two, to give them a chance to go for it, was just – just bad, bad cover by the, the defense there to let him get that far down the field. Yeah, and you know, veteran Vikings viewers know that when they get the holding penalty to first and 20, that's usually it for the Vikings. The Vikings yeah. have this like need to like throw three screen passes or three little hitches and, and get it to like you know third and 18 and then fourth and nine when they're first and 20. They always do that. So when I saw that situation, like here it comes, here comes the Chargers comeback the other way. So, you know, the, the decision to go for it fourth and two was – outstanding getting 18 yards as opposed to the usual six yards on a draw play which the vikings are inclined to do was is, is a big advancement for zimmer for his staff for kirk cousins there and again i think part of that is like you said a little bit of an indictment on the chargers who should have known hey pressure them hey hey scare them a little bit and they might make a bad decision on this if you play the super soft coverage you can put yourself in a position where it's fourth and short they do run the ball well they do handle short yard situations well and in this time they weren't ultra conservative and they didn't give you the ball back. Yeah. And it's like you said, especially with the lead for the Vikings to not go conservative like we see them and a lot of other teams would do just, Hey, don't get, don't give up a turnover. Don't turn it over. Don't give them a chance, you know? So yeah, that was, was just very good from Zimmer all around at that end of game situation, which is a little surprising to be honest from what we've seen from him, but he has been much better here in the, the last few weeks of the season. Right. And then that number one, you mentioned Vic Fangio. So a guy, it's interesting too. So he made the best decision of the week here at a six percent increase pre-snap. Um, you know, down seven, fourth and one at the Philly twenty-three. Uh, instead of you know taking a field goal and saying, "Hey, we've got a lot of time. We got a whole quarter left. We can right. you know defense can play well." Choosing to go for it, they actually converted it. Melvin Gordon got I think one one yard close to two, then fumbled. Obviously, we saw what happened with Darius Slay. But interestingly too here, you know, we kind of hyped Fangio up for this decision, but he had. A fourth and three, fourth and goal at the three field goal he kicked earlier. Fourth and goal at the four that he kicked that got blocked. Both of those were, I think, three and two and a half percent errors mm-hmm. when we looked at them. And then he had a the fourth and nine at the 10 isn't as bad. It was one or one and a half that he had earlier. But okay. still, those couple, you know, the, the 21 and 22 yarders yes. were tough. You know, maybe this game wouldn't even have been at this situation at this point if they could have converted one of those for a touchdown. Um but still, still give him credit for making the right call here. There was still a lot of time. This was by no means a desperation, obvious, you have to go for it situation. So yeah. it's just the worst outcome that you could imagine happened. So <laughs> we, we, used to, we used to play these tabletop dice football games, and there was a thing called the RP chart, the rare play chart. And I think about this in probabilities because mm-hmm. it's like, well, fourth and one, while well, you think about the probability of converting and you think about the probability of failing, and then there's that infinitesimal small chance that your veteran running back gets the ball ripped from his hands, that a cornerback picks it up, fumbles it again, picks it up again, runs around in circles like a squirrel, and then takes off downfield. And the rare play happens. <laughs> in this case, it happened. Um, but like you said, you know, I think we think of Fangio as a guy who is like, hey, uh, oh, I'm just going to kick a field goal no matter what. I'm going to mm-hmm. punt no matter what. He's been better this year. It's just a matter of he mm-hmm. hasn't been better consistently enough to, to get them past sort of that 500 level. Yeah, and you mentioned those those rare plays. We've actually yeah. seen at least two of those this year. I think we had the Dalvin Cook, which against the Bengals in week one could have been a fumble, could not. It was very close. They called it a fumble. And then Clyde Edwards Hilaire doing the same thing. You know, not necessarily a veteran running back there, but still getting the getting down the Chiefs with a chance. So it happens, like I said, that's two two times out of 
however many games we've been played so far and however many running back touches there have been in similar situations that it does happen, but you don't expect it. Um, you really you don't account for it there. Um, and just really bad luck there for, for Denver. But Fangio made, made the right call. You know, nothing more than he could do in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now from the, the good to the ugly, as we go from the best calls to the top five worst calls of Sunday in week 10. And uh, this is another situation where I think we covered a bunch of these, but there's a couple interesting ones on here as well that we haven't covered. So I see that we've got a bunch of Steelers Lions coming up, um, which I think we discussed. Yep. Uh, but there's a little bit of a little bit of Buccaneers and a little bit of Seahawks here as well. Yeah. So number five was the Steelers Lions. That was Mike Tomlin, the fourth and three, just shot yes. of midfield. Um, that one was a well, the 4.7% decrease in the pre snap run probability we mentioned. Number four is Bruce Arian. So a coach who we see kind of be hit or miss. You never really yeah. know. He's the kind of an old school guy. He had one years ago in Arizona, I think um, it was 2017. So it's been four years now where I can't remember exactly. I think he went for it. And he, even after the game, he doubled down. and was like, no, yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't, I would go for it again. Right. And we agreed with him in that situation. And then the next day on Monday, he comes out and he's like, you know what? I actually wouldn't, you know, I would take that back. And, and then we <laughs> see him, you know, do what he does here on a fourth and short where earlier in the game, uh, Tom Brady, had, they had a fourth and one, I think at their own 34 mm -hmm. and Brady did a QB sneak and yep. gets, picks up the yard. Like he is very good at doing, yep. but then you get fourth and two at the 46, even closer to midfield. And he chooses to punt when they're down 10. So this one was 4.8% and just, mm. I don't know how to explain it other than you never really know what Bruce Arians is, is going to do when it comes to those fourth downs. I mean, I know a lot of these coaches say, how the game's being played, their gut goes into, you know, Tampa Bay, Brady had two picks already. He wasn't really moving the ball well, mm -hmm. but like Scott on our podcast earlier, I mentioned, he said, you know, if you're not going to go for it here, then win. Like you're right. in the second half, you're down 10. It's just a situation with a guy with Brady, you know, they don't have Antonio Brown or Cronk, but they've still got Chris Godwin. They've got Mike Evans. Yeah. Joe Bernard had a drop or two yesterday. It was kind of uncharacteristic, but you've got a really good team. Right. Um, so just very surprising they're not necessarily from areas, but just with that team, I suppose. Right. Right. And then number three, number two, sorry, uh, or number three, Pete Carroll is no surprise here at all. all right. He is like the king of conservative play calling on fourth downs. This was the second or this was the first of two errors in the first quarter for him. This one was fourth and one at their own 41. So <laughs> Not too far deep in their own territory, just coming up on midfield. Russell Wilson's back. Right. You know, maybe was a little rusty, but still you've got Wilson. You've got um, DK Metcalf, Tyler Locke. You've got two pretty good tight ends, Gerald Everett, Will Disley. Fourth mm -hmm. and one is just kind of a no-brainer just with a team that good. And this one was a 5.3% error earlier or later in the half, in the quarter. I mean, sorry. They had the fourth and four, I think, at the Green Bay 45, chose to punt uh, in a 3-0 game. It's just for some reason he – he refuses to adapt to the new aggressive play calling. And it's, it's so many times in years past, the last few years, it's worked out where they've won. They were like the kings of winning those close games. Late. Yep. It was an unsustainable thing. And here, you know, they weren't able to to get it going and lost. But he just no surprise for Pete Carroll. And, and what's interesting is, and one of the things I've heard Seahawks radio, I, want some, I do some Seahawks radio, they complain about the time of possession disparity. And I think there was a high time of possession disparity in this game. Because Absolutely. You know, Seahawks drives evaporate. They go three and out so regularly. So 
even if you're being old school, you have to look at it and, and say, if I'm going to keep punting on fourth and one, fourth and one, and keep going three and out, I'm going to put my defense in a situation like we saw yesterday where the defense was playing well in a bad condition game, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But you've been on the field forever and you've given Aaron Rodgers so many opportunities by late in the third quarter. The other team's going to matriculate down the field and punch it in on you. And that's been a problem for the Seahawks throughout this season where late in games, second half of games, it was Derrick Henry. Oh, he broke through. Yesterday, it was pretty much the entire Packers offense broke through. So in addition to just sustaining drives because scoring touchdowns is good and that's how you win games, sometimes you need to have the ball. You need to control the clock and create more opportunities for your offense if for no other reason than to try and play that kind of time of possession football in a bad weather game. Yeah, and it gave Rodgers and that Green Bay defense kind of some time, if you think about it, some time to – to get things going and you know it was three nothing until I think the fourth quarter and they put up they scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter but I was reading earlier on the the Packers inbox that you know he really didn't have a full speed practice since before the Washington game three weeks ago right. because they had the short week against Arizona so Monday Tuesday Wednesday you know didn't really go too hard there and then plays in that game the next week you know comes out and he's he's on the COVID list and so is out for two weeks is just able to come back on Saturday so you know, giving them the ball more punting away just gives them more and more opportunity to kind of figure things out and let things roll. And in those cold, snowy games at Lambeau, it seems like Rodgers and, and crew always figure out how to, how to score points and, and do really well there. Right. And, that, and, and then so number – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was going to say that game, both quarterbacks were so rusty, it should have been sponsored by WD-40. Yeah, absolutely. But, you can hear all the squeaking going on through the, the TV. Right, right. So when it's fourth and one, it's like, well, why don't we let our running backs and offensive line tee off fourth and short and get us those opportunities instead of, you know, risking trying to get another big drive going. Yeah, and another thing that set them up was, if I remember correctly, they were kept mentioning a couple times on the broadcast just how bad the Seahawks were on third down, too. They just yeah. they couldn't get out of fourth down situations because they weren't able to, to convert those third downs. So that was a big, big part of it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, in the end, Pete Carroll, you know, could have made some better decisions to help out. They were early on in the game. Maybe he was waiting until later, which we've seen. He still is a little hesitant even later on. Um, but then opposite here at number two is a guy that we – expect to go forward very analytical and this is one that's a little bit i you know would kind of see an argument against it because it's the colts it's late in the game they're up three it's 20 to 17 against the jaguars mm-hmm. so fourth and seven at the jacksonville 19 so two and a half minutes left in the fourth choosing to kick the field goal cost them 6.3 percent chance to win prior to the snap mm-hmm. and this is one of those that i want to note for people just because they're going for it we say that 6.3 percent we're not saying they're going to lose. Right. They lose. They lose more often, but even by kicking the field goal, they're still at 75% chance to win three out of four. That's still good. So this yeah. is one where Frank Reich, you know, the, that Colts defense is very good. I think number two against the run heading into this week in DVOA around 20th, uh, middle of the pack, the 20th, I think, against the pass. You're facing Trevor Lawrence. We account for all those things, as you know, yes. um, quarterbacks, kickers, offense, defense, all of that. Yes. But still, it's the fact that we cover pretty much every week we see a situation like this. You're making a one-score game into a one-score game by going from three to six. Yes, yes they need a touchdown now, but a touchdown beats you either way. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of gets into the behavioral aspect, too, of you force your opponent to be more aggressive knowing they don't have a field goal to tie it in their back pocket. Right. And Urban Meyer's actually been pretty good as far as fourth downs go this year, too. You know, after this, he would have been in a situation where he had to go for it anyway. Um, but we've seen them kind of come up big in situations last week against Buffalo. They had the fourth and one at the 11 
they went for it. Um, ended up kicking a field goal on fourth and goal, which was a, an error, but he made the, the really good decision on the fourth and one right. against um, the Miami game uh, over in London. He had a couple good ones. So, you know, that they're not an incapable team, the Jaguars. They've been playing decent, but at least – Last week, maybe the offense still against a good defense. You know, not they're not a good team by any means. No. But still, to force them to be aggressive, kind of desperation mode, anything can happen. They were able to come up with the fumble on the sack that we mentioned in the most impactful plays. So they were able – the defense did step up and um, take care of business there. But, yeah, this one comes in as our second. And with Frank Reich, you would expect him – like, again, that's a fourth and seven. Maybe even for the most diehard of, of analytical coaches, that's a right. little bit of a stretch. So, personally, I can kind of – understand the decision to kick the field goal still numbers wise you know it it doesn't add up um by our model but they still win over 75 percent of the time in either situation right and that's it's like sometimes it's a marginal change after a coach has made so many strong decisions that they put themselves in position that they can they can sort of afford to make a less than optimal decision especially when it's like on the borderline like that absolutely yeah so Frank Reich, you know, the last few weeks has been really good. I think it was that Titans game. He had three really good fourth down calls on like the opening drive, the opening two drives. Right. It seems right. they've had a couple fourth and goals on the opening drive. So, yeah, he, you know, has kept them, kept them pretty good. You know, do, doing pretty well there. So, right. number two was the Frank Reich at six point three, and then number one we talked about Sean Payton. Not really much more to add there, other than <laughs> yeah. just the the factor, the combination of time on the clock, the deficit, the team that they have, that offense that, you know, isn't going to really blow anyone out of the water at this point with uh, Simeon, a quarterback, no Alvin Kamara, no Michael Thomas, yeah. um, who hasn't been there all year anyway. So that's not as big of a, a factor there. But, but yeah, 7.4 comes in. It's, I think, our biggest kind of blunder error looking at relative win probability um, from 12.7 to 12.8, I think it was down to 7.4. Um, was it like over two thirds of their win probability? Yeah, I think, yeah, or close to it. So it was a, a pretty big one there. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. What percent of your win probability did you lose? Because Frank Reich didn't yeah. lose a lot of win percent of his win probability, he kind of made a withdrawal from a bank account that was full and Sean exactly. Payton. Huh. Yeah, Sean Payton is, is you. Back in college, you've got twelve dollars, and you go and you spend yep. ten dollars at the bar, and that's all you've got left for for uh, the next week. <laughs> oh my! You, you you're talking about my son's life right now. I'm getting <laughs> that's exactly what's going on. Like that, I don't know where all the money went. Like I don't know what to tell you, son. I do because I can track <laughs> your bank account. Um, Absolutely. Before we get into the Monday Night Football preview, okay, you can find a lot at EdgeSports.com in our editorial section including Risky Business, written by Frank Frigo. I'm pretty sure he is talking about Sean Payton this week, and he is talking not just about Sean Payton and some of the biases that might have come into Sean Payton's decision, uh, like we've talked about here, but about the increased frequency around the NFL of um, of coaches going for it and how this is becoming more and more prevalent. I, I run the numbers, and this year it is much more prevalent than last year, and it's on a five-year run. Analytics are winning, Ian. Coaches are going for it more often, most of the time in optimal situations. Yeah, it's been really awesome to see, especially, you know, my first year here, it was actually as an intern in 2017 with the Eagles um, when they won the Super Bowl and had the big yes. year where they went for it on all kinds of, they had like a fourth and seven at the the Giants 42 in like week two or something that we have the kind of starts off New York Times article that we've got uh, kind of talking about that season. And then the bit, even bigger than that was Har- John Harbaugh in 2019 with that Ravens offense, you know, was just right. even more high-powered offense, I think, than the Eagles were that year. Having Lamar Jackson and just going for it on pretty much any and every opportunity. Um, and they were so good. They were put at 
kind of a higher test um, than some of the other teams where they were put in situations where our model said they should go for it, where it wouldn't have any other team go for it just because how strong they were. And he passed pretty much every single test. So that was a big one. Those two seasons, I think, were kind of the turning points. Um, and we've seen a lot, like you said, over the last couple of years, it just continues to rise, which is awesome to see. Awesome. And we may see a little bit of that tonight when the Rams face the 49ers NFC West showdown Rams coming up off a surprising upset loss. The Titans, a lot of surprising upset losses in week nine. Uh, They've added Odell Beckham jr, but they have lost Robert Woods. I think that that's a decline, especially in the short term for one week where Beckham is coming in and he probably knows two plays screen and bomb. Um, 49ers are three and five this year. They're own four at home. I believe the Rams are three and five against the spread right now. Um, so this is more intriguing than you would think if you look at the records. It might be a little closer than it appears. Uh, what does Edge Sports tell us about this game? Yeah, and I think when I looked at it, San Francisco has won like one of their last six. They they went two and zero, zero and four. They won, they lost. Um, yeah. So it's been it's been rough for the 49ers, to say the least. But yeah, the Rams are four point favorite. Well, actually, last I checked, looks like it's down to three and a half now. Um, doesn't really change it too much. There's no more kind of push opportunity there for them, obviously. Can't have a three-and-a-half-point game, but it, under Rams by less than four or for the 49ers to win, we've got a 58% chance for San Francisco to cover. Yeah. Um, and like Scott was was mentioning earlier on our, our podcast as well here at Edge Sports, that, it's a, that two points is bigger than it seems because it crosses over that three-point threshold, that field goal. It's kind of hard to move from one side of that to the other hmm. in the market. And this one, I think, started at four, got up to like four-and-a-half at one point maybe. Um, right. And it's now down to three and a half, which is kind of surprising, especially considering the public market is that it's now down actually to 88 percent. When we looked at this this morning, it was 91 percent of the bets were on L.A. It's down to 88, still overwhelming in favor there. But it was 97 or 98 percent of the money was on L.A. down to 94 percent now. So huh. people are kind of it looks like starting to pick up on that here in the last um, what, seven hours, six hours before Monday Night Football kicks off. Yeah. Uh, and then in the total, we see even more value there. So the, the line is at, I think it, it's now at 50 and a half. It was at 49 and a half at last I saw. But still, mm-hmm. to go over 50 points is at 63.5% right. in our simulation. So expecting a lot of points, which is really helpful uh, for a lot of people because these teams have quite a few fantasy players that, that I'm sure <laughs> matchups are coming down to the wire in tonight. So if you've got some players going and you need some points, do not be surprised to see a team come away with a win with a, a, a total. Our fair value total comes in at 55 points for this one. Ooh, I may, I may hit that over. I'm a little more skeptical about the, uh, about the 49ers uh, than the Saints. I am too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would be willing to bet Rams here. Uh, yeah. I think, but the over, I agree. I, I like the over as well. Yeah. Yeah. We are not married to the, to the numbers. We acknowledge them. We learn from them, but we don't always play them. A couple of things that I do have from the football outsiders archive, and I don't have the exact numbers up right now, but the 49ers are ranked in the bottom quarter of the league at stopping number one receivers. They're ranked in the bottom quarter of the league as stopping deep passes. And they're facing a team with Cooper Cup having an Offensive Player of the Year-worthy season, as well as Odell Beckham, who's going to strain the defense deep, take safeties away, at the very least, from Cooper Cup. And th- this is a team that loves to take deep shots. And when you start looking at that, I have a concern that this is going to be a game that maybe starts out close. Rams get a couple of big plays, pop it over the top. And you have a 49ers team that's good at covering from behind, but not necessarily at coming from behind. And that, that's where that over is intriguing. 
Yeah, and you mentioned deep shots with those guys, Cooper Cup, and then with Robert Woods out, they do have Odell Beckham, but Deshaun Jackson gone as well, Van Jefferson, um, yeah. I think could have a big, which yes. I'm playing against him, so I'm hoping not, but uh, <laughs> could be a big game for all those guys. I don't know how much Odell is going to do. I haven't seen the time. With the extra day, he's had a little more time to pick up the playbook, and then yeah. I saw they said he, they may have him returning kicks or punts, whatever it was, but wouldn't be surprised if I like Cam Newton to come in and kind of have a few plays at least drawn up for him uh tonight with a guy with that level of talent that we haven't really seen it as much the last few years from the injuries and yeah. the the Cleveland team that just doesn't really utilize their receivers in their passing game as much with that strong line and run game. Mm-hmm. Um but I think he's still got something in the tank and and may may have a couple big game big plays tonight. Yeah he makes a strong number three receiver. He's gonna get his touch Absolutely. on the screen because you got to make sure he gets his touch on the screen so he feels good about himself. Yeah. They're gonna they're going to throw a bomb to him because you want to establish that. I don't know if he'll catch it or not because it takes a while for that timing to establish. Mm-hmm. But he's going to be running the fly route on the right side. And then Cooper Cup's going to be doing whatever on the left side. And Jefferson, I, I, I agree, Jefferson might be – I don't have the props in front of me. Jefferson might be an interesting play, a DFS stack type of guy uh, because I think he's going to be the one who's going to benefit from a lot of space. Yep. Awesome. Well, yeah, should be an exciting game, though. Some of these Monday nights. I think this year, though, actually, the Monday nights have been good. In years past, they've been – Definitely in 2019, they were absolutely horrible the first half of the season, I think. But this year, we've had quite a few good Monday night football games. So that's yes. always always fun to cap the week with a good game. That is. And that's it. We, and we all agree, take the over tonight. That's the play that we all have a high-level confidence in, Edge Sports yeah. Football Outsiders. Um, well, on behalf of uh, everyone at Edge Sports Football Outsiders, I want to thank everyone for uh, watching today. Don't forget. You can see us on YouTube, on Twitch, on Twitter, on Facebook. Every day at 1 p.m. there's something going on. I believe we have Scott Spratt tomorrow. I know I'll be back on Wednesday. Ian, you've got something coming up on Wednesday, right, with Katie George? Yep, Coach Rankings coming up on Wednesday. So, yeah, that's on YouTube uh, on Wednesday. So watch us, leave reviews, rate us, talk about us, talk about us on social media. And don't forget, I keep mentioning this because – it's a great offer. It's not just because it pays, you know, my salary and puts food on my kid's table. It's a great offer. FO Plus on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It gets you all of our stats, all of our analysis, all of our fantasy information, all of our betting information. When we say things like, oh, this team ranks 28th against deep passes, that's where you find out that a team ranks 28% uh, 28th overall against deep passes. That's how you set your DFS lineup. That's how you know a net matchup might be favorable or unfavorable more than just the team's records and their raw stats. So 99 cents per week, limited time offer. You can see it on the corner of the screen there or go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. So, Ian, it was great talking to you today. Yep, thanks for having me. It's been a good time. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow here on Edge Sports Football Outsiders.